From an undisclosed location in Indianapolis comes the Pats Interference Podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, and a whole lot of Patriots news. Elliot Wolf spoke today, Tuesday, this morning at 10 a.m., went for about 15 minutes, and I think Doug and I wrote about 15 stories off of that single press conference, his first as a de facto GM of the Patriots. He confirmed he had roster control, something uh, I reported three weeks ago. His title remains the same, but everything else underneath him within the front office, which now includes Alonzo Highsmith, now is abiding by a different grading system. Macro is technically the number two, but we'll see how things shake out is going to be different. And Elliot gave voice to a whole lot of differences that are either already in motion or are about to come this way. And it was refreshing in a way that there was some honesty here. There was some specificity. Doesn't mean the Patriots are going to win anymore now that Bill Belichick is gone, but you are going to have a much better idea of what the Patriots are thinking, why they're going to act, and what their new philosophy is going to be under Elliot Wolf, who, of course, is working very closely with Gerard Mayo. So what we have here today are six takeaways, three from me, three from Doug, that will hopefully give you a full-fledged picture of, of what happened. Because, again, this was, I don't know, like I, up against Gerard's introductory press conference might have been more informative and honestly um, – more insightful for you as a fan about who this person is, what's going on, all these different things. So lots to come from Elliot Wolf. On the back end of this episode, we have our first segment. I don't know if it's going to be fan bag, male fan, whatever it's going to be, where the star of the show is you. If you replied to my tweet asking for mailbag questions and replied with a receipt for a donation to Boston Children's Hospital, because we are finally getting this off the ground, where you and I get to chat for five, six minutes. If you have responded with a mailbag question, Prove that you've donated at least $1 to Boston Children's. I will randomly pick a winner. Our first winner was Brian Sheridan from Saugus, Massachusetts. So Brian and I, I told him, we'll give you three, four minutes, get your question. We'll go back and forth. We actually went seven and eight. It was a great conversation. So that's on the back end, talking about the draft, Marvin Harrison Jr., and lots more. So stay tuned for that. And if you want your chance to come on the podcast, come hang out. All you have to do is respond to my next mailbag tweet or email me, as Brian did. And we had two more. It was Gary and Joe. Gary and Joe, you're coming up next um, with that receipt to help kids who are in the fight of their lives, for their futures, for their families. Every single dollar matters. And the way that we can do this and tie in the Patriots, all the better. So here come six takeaways from Elliot Wolf's press conference with Doug Kai. Doug is back. And then Brian Sheridan asking questions about the Patriots uh, as our new segment featuring you in the mailbag. All right, he's back. People's champ, people's favorite guest on the Pat's Interference Podcast, Doug Kai. I'm a partner at the Herald. Uh, I think I would call this day one at, at the Combine, for first full day. That that makes sense. We were here for most of the day yesterday, but yeah, this is the first full day. It's supposed to be the first day of the Combine. Sean McDermott, though, of the Bills. <laughs> started still on the Monday. <laughs> spoke to reporters on Monday before the Combine actually started, so at least that didn't happen to us this year. Yeah, it's always funny. The first day of the Combine is a lot of first day of school or first day of training camp. Yeah. How was your summer? When did you get in? How long are you staying? <laughs> hey, have you been to this particular steakhouse that really you treat like a bar, but we saw in the daylight for the first time yesterday, walk around the city. Oh my God, it just doesn't exist at 2 a.m. and after. Yeah. So the, all of this is to say the combine is slowly getting underway. I uh, said at the outset, I want to save all the rumors and the whispers and rumblings for later in the week once you and I have spoken to a lot uh, more people. But I will say, you know, having spent most of the, the last two days together, We've spoken to a lot of folks already. Oh, yeah. And yeah. there was one takeaway uh, or one quote that's included in a column that I have up at the Boston Herald uh, speaking with someone within the team, which you brought up. And I'm glad I, I got to use because it went over my head amid all the things that we're looking for. And I just want to hit on that first before we get to Elliot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just that 
Well, Elliot said today, Elliot Wolf, Patriots de facto GM, spoke to the media at 10 a.m. this morning. Um, he said that he was trying to bring back respectability to the team. That's not the exact quote, but that's, you know, uh, and and I brought that up to someone within the staff just because I think that some Patriots fans might take that the wrong way that, oh, with lost respectability under Bill or whatever it was. Um, and the person we were speaking to was basically just like, no, I mean, like, we are trying to regain respect. Like, people don't look at us well right now around the league. And I don't think that they're used to that based on all the success that they've had in the past. So I, I don't think that was a shot to Bill Belichick or to anyone. I mean, Elliot Wolf has been on the staff since 2020. I think they genuinely are trying to regain respect around the league right now. Yeah, he said we feel it yeah. in the interaction with other teams, which is such a far fall for the last four years, which we're not going to revisit. But I think it's worth getting inside the heads of this new front office, which yeah. we know is changing. We know it's going to have flavors of the Packers, and they're developing, you know, debating what to do at number three and how is free agency going to go. But there's something to be said for okay, we we got to get back. Like we've got to bring this back because most everyone, except for Elliot, honestly, has experienced what it was being like at the top of the mountain. So they're saying, hey, yeah. we can't just take an elevator and get back up there. Like we need to get somewhere in the middle where we can at least look down back on the jets again or the Panthers or anyone else who's drafting ahead of them. Uh, Elliot Wolf though, 15 minutes. And then he actually had a second uh, smaller scrum with reporters, exclusively Patriots reporters afterward, which is commonplace around here uh, except for Patriots reporters, because this is the first press conference at the combine for new England since 2013. Um, But you have a set of takeaways. We have not shared them despite Mm -hmm. sharing a hotel room and basically (laughs) every second of every day together. Get your buckets with your first bet at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams. Quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Massachusetts 21 plus and present in MA. Hope is here. First online real money line wager, only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24 seven support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800 GAM one two three four. Uh, number one on your list of I have to tell someone about Elliot Wolf's press conference today. Number one takeaway was this. Um, I think I would say that he confirmed that they're meeting with all three quarterbacks, all okay. three top quarterbacks in this year's draft. Not on my list. That's good. That's good. I I mean, it's just important. It's you never know how this thing's going to go. Like Elliot Wolf said today, they have forty five formal interviews. They're eighteen minutes apiece. Then they've also got informal interviews as well. I think that everyone knows the Patriots are looking at quarterbacks in this draft. Everyone knows that that's the most likely scenario is that they take a quarterback with one of those top three picks. But first of all, it's good that they're meeting <laughs> with Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. But also just the fact that I asked Elliot Wolf verbatim, are you meeting with these three guys this week? And he said, yes. And that's not the kind of confirmation that you're used to getting from a Patriots staff, from Bill Belichick, from anyone else. And you can argue whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that they're giving away state secrets, but it's a big takeaway that they are heading into this week knowing they need a quarterback, 
knowing there's a top three, knowing they have a number three overall pick, and that one of those guys is going to fall to them. So now at this point, they need to get to know them because Elliot Wolf has watched these guys, but he hasn't actually met them yet. Right. And those 18-minute interviews with those players will be very important. And this isn't the end of the road. They'll talk to them at the pro day. They might host them on visits to Gillette as well. But this is a starting point for a lot of people, whether that's Gerard May or Elliot Wolf or guys within the system, because I was even, you know, you talk to area scouts and they don't get to meet with quarterbacks when they're on the road, they get to meet with other guys, but the quarterbacks are kind of protected and hidden, especially the underclassmen. So this really is the first opportunity for the Patriots and a lot of teams to meet with those top three quarterbacks. And then also the other quarterbacks in this draft as well, because I was talking to someone else who said, we'll likely meet with all of the quarterbacks here at some point this week. Might not be formal, might be informal, but they'll get a gauge on all of these guys this week in Indianapolis. So that is the reason it did not make my list. Because I think when we broke from Elliot the first time, and he's up at a podium in this large conference room in the convention center, and they have him next to other GMs and head coaches who speak on Tuesday and Wednesday. And at those podiums from Thursday through Sunday, you get the players in the right. same space. It's very centralized. Uh, so everyone's milling about. They've got a smaller radio row behind this area, and there's a lot of media, team in-house media all set up. So he said that there, and as soon as he finished and went off to do the side scrum, I said it really would have been bigger news had he said, we don't really want to see Jane Daniels. Caleb Williams could take a hike, and we're actually going to get dinner with Drake May, but we're not going to do anything about it because, again, you're at the top, and it's in their best interest to say that. I mean, it sounds like state secrets because I think the big takeaway, and I I don't know what the impression is of Elliot's press conference at home, whether that be talk radio or Twitter or just people talking on the street outside dunks, but if if there's some resistance or negative reaction to this, fine, whatever. I think it has a lot to do with change. And we need to understand that there is going to be resistance to change because we're human beings and we're human beings from the Northeast. But the change of him supposedly being open, it's not a state secret, but he is more open than Bill was, is to say he should say that because anyone who wants a quarterback at least has to be under the impression that the Patriots are interested in taking one, which they should be. In my opinion, on the record, take one. Um, But at least for appearances sake, drive up the price if they want to trade back. That being said, my number one takeaway was just his actual brutal honesty. Yeah. Like there were so many moments yeah. that were not. Did this make your your list in some no, form or no, fashion? Okay, good. So not exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is broad, but a couple quotes here that really caught my attention. Uh, we need to weaponize the offense. On defense, you need to be faster and more explosive. And the culture quote, and he was asked if it had changed already, mm-hmm. which is impossible. He mentioned that they don't really have a roster yet. Um, it's more open and less hard-ass type vibe <laughs> in the building yeah. moving forward. So that is Elliot Wolf telling you, A, he has seen problems at offense, on defense, and within the culture. And look, again, I don't take this as a shot at Bill. This is a guy coming into a job that became vacant because the guy before him was not doing a proper job. It's in the numbers, 4-13, and 29-39. and 39. The guy with complete power of football operations oversaw that. Who else is going to be responsible but him? Doesn't take away from the greatness. It's just... This is how we got where we are. But him giving voice to that and specifically saying in these areas, I don't think it was critical. These were all different questions, but it was refreshing, not only just the brutality of it, but the brutal honesty of it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that this is what you almost have to do when you have a new head coach or new regime or whatever it is, is that, you know, you go from a hard ass to more of a player's coach or you go from more of a player's coach to a hard ass. And I mean, I don't know how Gerard Mayo is going to be. I think he probably will be more of a player's coach than Bill Belichick no, was. Yeah. <laughs> but even just someone else that we were talking to this week saying that like 
people are smiling in the office. And like, I, like I, that sounds corny. And I'm sure there's a subset of fans who are going to be like, ah, football needs to be the way that Bill Belichick was doing it. But I think that this is the only way that you can really change a, an approach and potentially going to have more success is to have a full culture change. It seems like that's what Elliot Wolf and Gerard Mayo are trying to do. Uh, should I get to my second takeaway? Well, let me just add on this really yeah. quickly because, you know, I, I think the part about Bill doing business in football his way is that it's just like anyone else in a leader position. Yeah. It has to emanate naturally. It has to be authentic oh, to yeah. you. Bill got the nickname Doom 15 <laughs> years before he became yeah. the head coach of the New England Patriots. So here was this miserable right. genius, miserable in quotes, all right, relative. Obviously, the guy smiled, had a family, enjoys life. But as far as the work environment that he fostered as a leader, Doom did that. Right. That was authentic to him. Lawrence Taylor said everything was the end of the world if you screwed up, if you didn't set the edge, if you missed a gap, if you ran behind the quarterback, is you were a pass rusher. What is authentic to Gerard and yeah. to Elliot yeah. is a little bit lighter. Yep. There's a levity in the building. Hearing that, yeah, people are smiling. Things are okay. Even Macro is a pep in his step. Macro Belichick <laughs> loyalist. His middle name might be Bill for all I know. Um, and that's because it's natural to them. It doesn't right. make it better. It doesn't make it worse. No. But like you couldn't separate the, I'm going to use my word, misery right. from Bill and his genius in the same way that we don't know if this will take off, yeah. but it will be different mm -hmm. out of necessity and because of just the people they put in charge. And no, that's it. Absolutely. All right. Number two. Uh, number two. I think I am stealing one of yours on this one. And that's that uh, Michael Wenu. Yes. Free agent. Offensive lineman is a core player. Uh, according to Elliot Wolf. Um, he said that the Patriots want to keep Michael Wenu. They want to keep safety Kyle Duggar. Um, they've had conversations with those guys, Kyle Duggar's agent, Michael Weno himself, because he doesn't currently have an agent, uh, wouldn't say if those would, were productive conversations, uh, but he made it very clear that the Patriots would like to keep both of these guys around. The hope is to keep them around. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. But I think another thing that he said that is pertinent to this or, or is related to this is just that the Patriots want to develop through the draft, re-sign their own guys. And that would be, you know, a good way to use all their cap money right now. All of the cash that they need to spend right now is to re-sign their own guys who have done well uh, within this system, which is Michael Wenu and Kyle Duggar. We'll see how Michael Wenu fits into a new offensive system. Uh, but just within the building, well-liked players, well-respected. Like I said, we'll see if it actually happens. Um Elliot Wolf said that all options are on the table about whether or not they're going to use the franchise tag. I think that for me, if they're having trouble signing one or both of these guys, use the franchise tag. Like you have the money. I know it might not be the best long-term investment, but like maybe you can work something out after you tag them or next off season or whatever it is. I don't think that the Patriots should be in the business right now of losing good players to other teams which would be what they would be doing if they do lose Michael Wenu or Kyle Duggar. That's absolutely right. And let's hit the franchise tax really quickly because I think a lot of people would say, oh my God, just tag him. Just tag him. You're it. That's yeah. it. You're staying. This is one year. It's right. done. Yeah. The cost for Mike Unwenu is close to $21 million. Yeah, it's cool. shy by like a couple hundred grand. And then for Kyle Duggar at $17.3 million. Right. That's a bit rich for Kyle Duggar. And, and yeah. not even, you know, right now, given the season that we just saw, he's a year older. You go back to the projections I was getting in the summer, asking around agents yeah. or other executives, what, what should Kyle Duggar get? Resign him. What's the deal look like? And they were around 14 to 15 at most um, average annual value. This obviously is more than that. And it's fully right. guaranteed and it's one year. So I would lean towards on when it, but there, I'm is, there is a transition tag though, too, for True. Duggar, which would be 14 million. Oh, when is really not that much less. I think Oh, when it would still be like 19, $20 million, but 
basically like the transition tag, it gives you right of first refusal to match another offer from a team. But if they lose them, they don't lose them for anything. Yeah. Uh, whereas with a franchise tag, what you get a first round pick uh, back. Yeah, non-exclusive. Them. Yeah, it's exclusive. Yeah. It's two. Right. Um, um. So like transition tag for Duggar for fourteen million seems to make sense to me. Yeah, you might still lose him, but at least like you're you're making a step towards signing him, and you're putting the impetus on someone else to offer that contract, and then you, like I said, have to write a first refusal for it. Yeah. All right. So I'm with you on Michael Wenu because I think you know again this was Elliot Wolf's yeah. first press conference. We understood. You know, he talked with some other folks within the organization about it afterwards. I don't know how serious those talks were, but it's something he gave thought to beforehand. Right. And after, and if there's one tell, if there was one slip up, aside from saying we're not going to have as much of a hard ass culture, which I have to guarantee is being played on the radio as we record this late Tuesday afternoon, is that he called Mike Onwenu a core player. He called him a cornerstone, as you mentioned. And then the Packer ways he later described this draft and develop and extend your core players from within. There's a direct quote. And so that to me says, okay, he's a top priority. Yeah. Does it mean things get done? No. Does it mean what I reported last week here in this podcast that there's still pessimism mm-hmm. around that? No. Michael, when he fired his agent, so far we don't know if he's um, signed on with anyone else. That either means that he's not getting one of two things. Now they're very disparate here, so it's not really going to tell us much. Either he's not getting the money that he wants, mm-hmm. or he's not getting the deal to stay home, which right. to me felt like what Kyle Duggar uh, fired his representation inside with Andy Sims. Talked about that already, but. Putting that aside, the other way to slip up, staying with the Packer way, how much did that sound to you different from what the Patriots have been doing, understanding it also incorporates a different grading system, but everyone wants to draft and develop. It's not like we're going to draft and right. say, see you later, which the Patriots have largely done since Deron Harvard resigned in 2017. I mean, I'm sure the Patriots would love to draft and develop, but they haven't drafted, drafted players well. worth developing. <laughs> yeah. Like they haven't drafted players worth resigning for the most part. And there are some examples of like, you lose Logan Ryan, who I'm sure they would have liked to keep around. You you lose some other players like Malcolm Brown, maybe you want to keep around. But they were kind of cap strapped a lot a lot of those years because the teams were so good that I think that that is probably why they weren't re-signing those guys in the mid 2010s. By the late 2010s, they weren't re-signing draft picks because they weren't good enough to re-sign right. essentially. So yeah, I'm sure that the Patriots would have loved to be doing that all along, but there were some. Like, the Patriots aren't typically a team that builds through free agency. Like they were building through free agency values, right. but it really wasn't until and in 20, 2007, yeah, with like Randy Moss and Wes Walker trades or that kind of situation. But really they were drafting and developing throughout the whole dynasty eras. Um, and it wasn't until 2021 when they really like blew up in free agency because they had to and because they had the cap space. So I'm curious to see how this all looks this off season because they do have a ton of cap space. They have to spend a ton of cash. And he didn't can't... commit to that cash. Right. I yeah. think you asked him directly yeah, about it. Said, I do said, you plan to be aggressive? Go ahead. Right. Yeah, I, said, I asked him, do you plan to be aggressive in free agency? And he said that they plan to be aggressive improving the team, but that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean... Trying to help the team. Like, right. how aggressively can you help an old woman across the street? <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to do this. Am I going to stand here all day and just right. usher them across the street, spend money in free agency? I think his point was, oh, we'll see. Sometimes I need a rest. Yeah, and, and he said whether that means spending or like saving money. Yes. Which I'm sure that that will get twisted in a lot of different (laughs) ways. But I mean, if they don't think that they can be competitive in 2024, which they probably can't, yeah, like save the cap space, like go all in 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 next year or whatever it is. If they, I don't know. I mean, like obviously there's a lot of different ways to do this, but 
they have to sign players that they like when it comes down to it. And you can't just spend money on guys that you don't like, which could be the case in free agency. Which happened last year. Right. As you've reported, we've yeah. documented together right. is that they looked at the free agent draft class for offensive tackles, draft class. No, eh. no I wouldn't right. have opted for basically nothing, which was Riley yeah. Reef and Calvin Anderson, but that's a story in the past. Yeah. Uh, the one note about cap space too, because I think there's a sense of, and this is Gerard Mayo's framing, something right. maybe he would want back from his own interview. Yeah is to say we're ready to burn some cash. Yeah. And then there's the sit on our hands, do nothing. The Patriots are going to do something in the middle. Right. And I've leaned in report and said they have to spend more money. You just look at the numbers. You look yeah. at their cap space. You look at the uh, cash spending floor that you've written about before and was right. very helpful talking about it here on the podcast, is just to say they'll be somewhere in the middle. This is not an all or nothing. No. They're going to spend money. But they might look at this, as you said, and say, okay, we don't want to sign Michael Pittman at $20 million, right. whatever, right? Marquise Brown. Yeah. I, I'm not particularly high on Marquise Brown. Right. But what we can do is trade for this is strictly an example i don't think this is going to happen mm-hmm. a veteran player on a bloated contract right that we can take back at a low cost from a trade asset standpoint yeah. like Devonte adams in the open market should get high picks first right. second round picks if the raiders wanted to move them and they said today explicitly they do not right Jelson p carroll said he wasn't gonna uh, trade russell wilson <laughs> and two days later at the combine they did uh, two years ago they could absorb that contract yeah. in a way that very few teams could and not give up a whole lot in return because they're doing the Raiders in this theor- theoretical situation, a uh, hypothetical, a favor by yeah. taking, giving them cap relief. So I'm just saying it's another way to use the cap space that's not spend, 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 spend. I think that there's a market, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's a way to exploit the market by trading for veteran players on bloated contracts. Yeah. And I'm not sure... If this is something that teams will do, I'm curious. I would be curious to talk to like my friend Brad Spielberger, who's like cap expert on things like this. But like a few years ago, when there was talk about like, do you trade for Odell Beckham Jr. or something? I forgot that he'd signed like a four year, $72 million yeah. contract or yeah. something like that. But a lot of that is signing bonus. So like his actual salary wasn't that high. And I was like, this is kind of a bargain what you can get him for because his salaries were only like $10, $12 million, whatever it is. There are guys out there, and Odell Beckham Jr. isn't the best example because he hasn't been that good since then, but there are other players like that who have signed big contracts that are very signing bonus heavy, which means that their salaries are lower than what you can get for a comparable player on the open market. So, yeah, I'm curious to see if they do something like that because I do think that that's a good market inefficiency uh, to acquiring good players on salaries that are lower than free agency. Right. Yeah. Uh not a great year as far as timing goes because of the, the cap jump so high up. Teams right. can find these deals a little bit more paddle, yeah. palatable than normal, but someone's going to need the cap relief. I think the Patriots should be waving both hands going, over here! Right. We'll take him over here! Yeah, uh, and maybe if you want to attach a pick, we'll take that too. Speaking of trades, Mac Jones came up today. Mm. And Elliot did not say anything specific about Mac Jones because no. he said, I will not say anything specific no. through the media about this. I think that's a good policy. It's also something as far as the folks who are going, oh, they're bearing Bill, they're backstabbing Bill, yada, yada. That's straight out of Bill's playbook. Mm-hmm. That's a smart move. It's, yeah. Elliot is going to continue that. Do not speak about player standing with the media. Keep it behind closed doors. Drod Mayo is going to do the same thing. But he was also asked in a question where, Again, I described this large podium, and he's up there, and there are a lot of us standing around looking up, recorder extended, trying to make eye contact. And inevitably, you get some reporters, and I've done this for other coaches Mm. and GMs, who are asking questions, nothing to do with the Patriots. It's for their stories because they're a national reporter. I work for the Titans, and you you know, once stood at a urinal next to Rand Carthon, and how was that? I want to write a story about it. But the question was about body language. Mm -hmm. And Elliot gave this response, which I I think in a vacuum – it's completely cool. Yeah. Makes sense. It's fine. It's the same standard every single team should apply. But the New England Patriots do not exist in a vacuum. <laughs> they exist next to Mac Jones, with Mac Jones. And so when I read you this quote, 
You tell me what you think. He exists in a vacuum. Oh, okay. Time out for you. One minute. <laughs> this is what Elliot said in response to the importance of body language when it comes to the quarterback position. Quote, body language on the field is very important at that position. You don't want a guy that's throwing his hands up after a bad play, or you can see him physically pointing at somebody. Everybody's looking at the quarterback. Yeah. 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 I mean, not particularly important, but like I, you heard me stifle laughter as he's saying this because I couldn't believe it. It's not altogether important, but this is a fifth out of six takeaways. It it just hit me in the funny moment. Yeah. I don't think that he was saying it like, but it's true. Like you don't want a guy like that. And I think that was a major issue in 2022 with the Patriots where Mac Jones was doing that. Mm -hmm. I think it struck a lot of people the wrong way. I think that, um, I don't know if there was like grudges held over it, but I think, I I don't know if like, he could really curry favor after he was doing that to coaches that people within the building respected. It was better in 2023, yes. but he was also benched. So there was less time for him to be doing it late in the season. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think it was a direct shot at Mac Jones. No. I think it's just a logical thing to want and to say, but it's hard not to make that connection when Mac Jones was doing that so heavily in 2022. Right. And uh, I think, you know, as I said, it behooves them to talk about the third pick yeah. and saying, we're going to meet with every quarterback. We like every quarterback. Yeah. We love, and he said it's a really good quarterback class. That that yeah. caught my attention yes. for sure. So it behooves him to say positive things about Mac Jones, just not to decrease his trade value in the right. open market. Hopefully stoke some sort of bidding war if they do trade him. I think it'll happen. We'll see. But I th- again, I think he was just being honest. Yeah. And this is the downside of being more honest with the media, not because that's something that was factually incorrect mm-hmm. or not authentic to him or team building. It's just that it can create a little bit of a headache. Yeah. And so that, that you know, I'm not going to be someone who here who bitches about the deflections and the cliches. Right. And then when you're honest with us, we like criticize you for it. No. But I understand why that might be taken out of context or people run with that. Yep. And uh, we'll see. All right. Your last takeaway. My last one is that they're changing the grading system uh, mm-hmm. for prospects, which is big in itself just because it's totally new. I was talking to someone who is yeah is is part of that he's learning the new grading system was on board with it uh was happy with it the way that elliot wolf described it was that the old grading system was more role-based and this is more value-based i think it simplifies things a little bit but it also the patriots had very defined roles because they knew their offense so well and they knew their defense so well and now it seems like under Alex Van Pelt, this is something that he stressed last week to us, is that they're going to build the offense around the team's strengths. So I think this does allow a bigger draft board for the Patriots and also allows them to maybe take a best available player Mm -hmm. a little bit better than they could in the past where they were saying, yeah, this might be the best overall player, but he might not fit our system. He might not fit what we want to do on offense. He might not fit a role that we currently need on our team or whatever it is. But another element of this is I was talking to someone else uh, inside the building last night. They were saying that the new system and the new structure is a little bit easier in general because Elliot has watched all these guys. Like Elliot has more time to watch these players than Bill Belichick did when he was the head coach of a team. And I think that this is why more teams go towards a GM and a head coach rather than a head coach who is the GM. And it was a system that worked perfectly for the Patriots for 20 years. 
but that's because Bill Belichick was a unicorn and was very specific in, in his knowledge of the game and everything like that. And Gerard Mayo doesn't have that. So now they need this two-person system with Elliot Wolf as the de facto GM, Gerard Mayo as the head coach. And I think that that will help scouts a lot that they don't need to be quite as detailed in these scouting reports of players because Elliot Wolf knows the players as well as they do, or maybe not as well, but at least he knows them. He's watched them. So I think that goes into this system as well, that scouts don't need to tell Bill Belichick, this is how this guy is going to fit into our system. It's, this is how, this is how I see this guy. You might see him differently, but this is where the value is. So I don't know. Ultimately, I do think it's going to be a good thing. And that's not to say that the old system was bad. The old system was necessary for what the Patriots are doing. I think that in general, this is a more streamlined, simplified approach to evaluating draft prospects. It's a really great point. And I wish we had spent time on this earlier because I think, again, the grading system speaks to what's the philosophy behind it. That's how you make it actionable, right. what you believe in, what you're going to um, categorize and assign and kind of bring this to life. And so the Patriots old approach and this Daniel Jeremiah gave away to this last week. Yeah. They were such a niche team yes. and the way they were trying to fit players in, it was no wonder they had the smallest draft board or one of the smallest draft boards in the entire league because they were looking for those specific roles. This is saying, how good is the guy? Mm -hmm. And if he's not good enough to be on our board, we'll find a way to bring him in and work the system around him. So instead of, you know, finding players to bring the system to life, mm -hmm. these are bringing in the best players that we can build a system around. Right. And so that's when you hear it from Alex Van Pelt, which sounds a little crazy. We don't know if we're going to be his own blocking right. run scheme yeah. or a, a gap scheme. Um, but I think that approach for a, a roster that's been so starved of talent that might have better fits here, but they aren't good enough. They don't wow you. There's no blue chip roster. I, I think it is a good transition, not to mention, if Elliot Wolf's going to be your GM, you're going to go with a Packer system because that's right. what he grew up in. That's what he knows. And I, I think it speaks to a healthy change. But, of course, it's a matter of the execution. Yeah. As for a couple of things where you can look at this specifically and go, okay, what does a Packer-style graded player look like? Yeah. Versatile offensive lineman. This is courtesy of Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, receivers with kick return experience or ability. And we heard from Elliot about his quarterback traits today. He wanted someone who could elevate Mm -hmm. everyone around him which speaks a little bit to leadership and he got to physical skills at the end which was interesting right. given uh the Packers taking Jordan Love and, and Aaron Rodgers both were more athletic mm -hmm. you know off-platform throwing quarterbacks but we'll get into that uh more at a later day all right couple mailbag questions and we'll get uh out of here first of all the first mailbag question I've already answered it's a pre-recorded segment it's at the end Brian was the first winner of our new segment again I, I need an official name for this we have to do better <laughs> than fan bag but Thank you to everyone who replied and donated to Boston Children's Hospital. If you want to be on this podcast, um, you just need to do that. Minimum $1. Send in your question, email or Twitter, plus a donation receipt. We will get you on here. There are two people who were omitted because they also emailed me these receipts, but we're going to answer their questions right now. So this comes from John. John is itching to know about Steve Belichick. Yeah, me about him last week, a little Love UW it. connection. Yeah. So here's the question. I'm going to read the whole paragraph because <laughs> thank you, John. Uh, quote, can you explain the rationale? behind the Steve Belichick move. I get the connection to Jed Fish and that Washington was in the national championship game, but the college game seems so much harder on coaches recruiting portal NLL. And Washington seems poised for a step back this year. I see why he wouldn't want to stay in New England, but was this really the best job he could get where there were other NFL options for him? It seems like the play caller in a top five defense should be getting head coaching interviews, not just going to a non-blue-chip college program. Not a blue chip, please. Doug was really on board until the end of that. Yeah. Noted UW fan. Uh, what do you make all that? Um, I think it's tough for Steve Belichick to maybe get 
a defensive coordinator job or certainly a head coaching job, just because people still wonder how much it was him. Like, because he was sharing a defensive coordinator role with a guy who the team promoted a head coach. Didn't get the head coaching interview and got the job. Right. So that in itself tells you that the Patriots thought that it was more Gerard Mayo, maybe not more as the defensive coordinator, but like the better leader, the better coach, whatever it was. And then also you've got Bill Belichick involved in that defense as well. So yeah, like Steve Belichick was the one calling the plays, but that role as defensive coordinator was almost split between three different people. So I can understand why a team would say like, yeah, we'd love to have you on board, but you're you could be a linebackers coach, or you could be a defensive line coach, or you could be whatever it would be. Whereas in the college game, you can he deserved that defensive coordinator job. And actually, I mean, I think he probably would have deserved an NFL defensive coordinator job. I'm just simply explaining why that might not have been possible for him right. at this point. Um, I think he'll do great as UW's defensive coordinator. Uh, it is tough with NIL and recruiting and all that different stuff. But just as a pure coach, I think he's going to do a great job there. And then, you know, if he does thrive there, then, yeah, he probably would get NFL defensive coordinator opportunities or college head coaching opportunities or whatever it is. But I do think he needs to break from the Patriots to prove himself before those opportunities present themselves in the NFL. I'm going to co-sign in all that. And I think you can expect Steve Belichick to at least try to get back into the NFL soon because, again, it's – you know, Joe Ray's, sorry if I said John, Joe, um, the college game doesn't seem to be a personality fit for, right, yeah, for Steve Belichick. Right. And so when you look at him, he's looking, okay, the title at a, a program like this, defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. looks great on a resume. Yeah. And so for him just to stay at that level, because technically in, in New England, yeah, he called plays. He was just the linebackers coach. Right. And again, Gerard Mayo ran the meetings. He installed the game plans. Mm-hmm. He went over the scouting reports, and then Steve took it over. And Steve's a good coach. I right. think he'll do a very good job schematically. But you have familiarity there. You go outside of the family, so to speak. I mean, Jetfish was only in New England for 10 right. months. Um, and then you stay in a position where you can at least use it as a launching pad elsewhere. Yeah. And Jetfish, as someone who's made habit of just playing hopscotch all yeah. around the country and in college football in the NFL, is not going to be upset when Steve Belichick leaves in a year right. or two or three. Uh, hopefully again on his terms and I think he'll do a very good job but it really is a lot to do with the shadow the role the projection the options available to him and I think honestly it's not a bad job no it's not an a-plus job but I think for Steve Belichick it's a pretty good move yeah and hopefully after a national championship at (laughs) Uh, 2030 um (laughs) all right sorry again to Joe not John last question from Gary a longtime listener appreciate Gary reaching out here so and Gary has some advice um (laughs) so we're gonna skip the advice sorry Gary on the question Quote, let's say the Patriots take a quarterback at number three, and I have a crystal ball. What is the worst that player can be to still call it a successful pick and justify the pick? And theoretically, it has to be enough uh, through three seasons, given the deadline to pick up the fifth-year option. Is it Justin Fields? Is Trevor Lawrence a successful pick? Something lower than that? Thanks again. And uh, Gary thinks the donation was a great idea, and so do I. Um, I think it's a guy that you want to keep around if you have another top five to 10 pick in three years. Mm -hmm. So like Justin Fields, I don't think would be a successful pick No, because now the bears are picking number one overall. And it seems like they're probably going to trade Justin Fields and take a quarterback, whether that's at number one or trading down. Like I do think that it's someone that you need to pick up that fifth year option on that after Mm -hmm. three years, you want to keep working with him and pay that, you know, that high salary that comes with a, with a, fifth round uh, the fifth year option so like mac jones not a success justin fields not a success obviously zach wilson but trevor lawrence i think would be a success because yeah he hasn't been like 
he hasn't lived up to the potential. He hasn't lived up to, to the hype, but he's absolutely a guy that the Jaguars are going to want to keep working with after this season and pick up that fifth year option and see if he can keep improving. So I don't know if the bar is Trevor Lawrence. The bar might be a little bit lower than Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's I think, the bar that you want to pick up that fifth-year option. And if you don't, if you fail to find a player that you want to keep working with in a fifth year to pay that salary, then I think that you have failed with taking that quarterback. Yeah. Especially at number three overall. No doubt. And, th- and that's the context, right? Yeah. The higher your pick, the higher the expectations yes. are. That's the framework. Justin yeah. Fields, look, was a first-round pick, went 11th overall. Mac Jones was the fifth quarterback taken in that class. And look, after his rookie year, it looked like the second-best quarterback right. By far, just behind only Trevor Lawrence, who at that point was still a projection. Obviously, we know Trevor Lawrence is the better quarterback, and Mac Jones is not going to have his fifth-year option picked up. My answer is, um, first of all, I agree with Doug. You need to want to pick up the fifth-year option. Then you go, okay, who are the quarterbacks lately who they had their options picked up? And I think about Daniel Jones. And I'm like, you know what? I That that seems not good enough. But where I land is another top three quarterback who had his fifth-year option picked up if they still had this in place. But it's gone on and been better since then. I'm going to land on Jared Goff. You need to be Jared Goff or better, which is not only just to say, okay, the 12th or 14th, somewhere in that range, 10th or 14th, best quarterback in the league. But the downside of this is Jared Goff is still a highly dependent player in his environment, which goes for most quarterbacks in the world, not just the NFL. But it also says, okay, you can have a successful pick. But that pick is just as much dependent on the player, his traits, his accuracy, his leadership as the environment you put around him. Trevor Lawrence is the perfect example we just talked about. Year one, what the hell is it? Year two, oh, that's the guy that we drafted. Jared Goff, same way. Year one, what did we do? Sean McVay comes in, we're going to go to the Super Bowl in a year. And that's what happened. So I I think you need to be Jared Goff or better. And who knows if that'll happen? Because again, we don't know what the Patriots are going to do around them. Uh, But fingers crossed, at least for that guy's sake, (laughs) Mike on a winning back at right tackle, uh, a legitimate starter at left tackle, and some other receivers that make everyone go, oh, they, they can actually throw the ball now. Yeah, and it's it's a real puzzle to try to figure out how they do all that. Yeah. Like how yes. you draft a quarterback. It's not easy, three. and it's not unique to the Patriots. Yeah, either. and then also get a wide receiver. Also make sure that you've got a left tackle in there. It's tough. They're lucky that this draft is loaded with wide receivers, tackles, and, and quarterbacks, but it's almost like they need three top 50 picks in this draft <laughs> to land all those guys. So we'll see how they manage to do that, but they definitely do need those all three of those positions. You know uh, how they could do that? How? So they trade back. Mm-hmm. Or if they, yeah, yeah. They, hmm. <laughs> we were talking about all the differences. Mm-hmm. Elliot Wolf had brought back, and we end up on, what did they just do what Bill would do? All right, what, all right. no, they need to trade up, get Caleb Williams. Yes. Then it doesn't matter. We talked about this today. I was like, have we even considered, have we taken a second to consider that they go up to number one if the, the Bears actually want to trade that? Like, yeah. I don't know how I would feel because, again, we just I never contemplated that until very groggy walking into that press conference <laughs> this morning going, what if they did the opposite? Yeah. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. Glad to have you back. We'll be back later this week. All the rumblings, all the whispers, all the rumors, all the crumbs, all the things that we picked up and you got a little taste. Now you're going to love what we have at the end of the week for Doug. I'm Andrew coming up, Brian Sheridan, first guest. Thank you for donating to Boston children's. And again, if you want to be on this podcast, it's very simple. Reply with a mailback question next time I ask, and then prove to me that you've donated at least $1 uh, to a place that could really use. It. All right. So the first edition of what will be known as hopefully not fan bag, or male fan. We'll have something uh, a little spicier, a little smoother here. Brian Sheridan from Saugus, Massachusetts, one emailed with a proof of donation to Boston Children's as well as a question. We got three or four minutes. Brian, your question was uh, sounded more like a pitch, I think. <laughs> um, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was 
draft Marvin Harrison Jr. up front, uh, get Bo Nix later in the draft, and maybe make an effort to trade for Kirk Cousins. Lots going on there. Pitch me on your uh, your idea here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think there's some hesitation and fear about getting yourself a, a top-tier quarterback uh, in the first round. Sometimes it works. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, so maybe building around like an all-star wide receiver as kind of the face of your franchise. Um, he's fantastic with Harrison Jr. Get him out there on the streets. And then I was thinking picking up someone in the second with their 34th, 34th pick, um, someone like Bo Nix, who's, you know, got the ability to sling it, run it, do all those different things and not necessarily put them right in uh, right off the bat, but maybe go for someone like a Kirk Cousins, who's a little more experienced. He can sit behind him for a few years. Uh, you see sometimes throwing someone kind of in pretty quickly, like Mac Jones doesn't always go well. Um, so trying to do a multi-phase approach to say, you know, we're not necessarily rebuilding all in year one, but getting yourself uh, kind of someone to rate the ship. Uh, with Kirk Cousins, uh, and then getting a Marvin Harrison Jr. out there, and then Bo Nix to sit behind Cousins for a year or two, uh, much like Cousins did behind Favre and uh, or Favre, and uh, see how that goes. Um, All right, so Brian, it sounds like there. you want to have your cake, you want to eat it too, and then you want to get a second slice and then contemplate whether you want to trade it for Kirk Cousins. So I get that right. Yes, sir. Lots of cake out there in the ether. I mean, you're telling me they got a lot of money. I hear it every time I'm listening to you, right? They got money to burn. Uh, so working through how we can get cousins there while also picking up some drafts. It's exciting to have a top five pick for the Patriots, right? That hasn't happened in a long time. Um, I mean, you had to watch a terrible season for it to happen. But like, let's do something fun with it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm on the record saying I, I'm not a fan of the idea of drafting Marvin Harrison Jr. with the third pick. And it, it's only because I look at their best options is either taking a quarterback up there, Jaden Daniels or Drake May most likely, or trade back, where I think you could still get a high-caliber receiver. Roma Dunze, obviously from Washington. I mocked uh, Lad McConkey last episode, early second round. Because I think you either get the quarterback who's going to have all of the value that, that brings back to that position, if you get it right, or the value in players that as good as Marvin Harrison Jr. is and he's excellent it's hard to imagine him functioning in this kind of an offense with so many needs um but I the Kirk Cousins idea I'm not going to dismiss out of hand it would cost a lot the Achilles is this kind of confounding variable right but even if his timeline doesn't align exactly you're you get a decent enough offense around him again fixing the offensive lining up money spent for agency like you're in the wild card mix if, if he's healthy at least early enough of the season it's a big if you're back in there like that solves a lot of problems yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate that. So working with some of uh, what I'm thinking. So you're not as big as uh, Harrison Jr. up front fan, but more of a, I mean, I would love a great quarterback. I know just there could be so hit or miss in the first, but yeah, going all in on, on someone early and, uh, and kind of building around them. Would you start them kind of right off the bat? Or do you think, you know, picking up that cousins and having that like top quarterback there uh, uh, kind of sitting for a year or two as they learn behind cousins? Well, it's funny because we when we got to talk to uh, Elliot Wolf today at the Combine, someone, not a Patriots supporter, asked him, hey, how have the Packers done so well with, you know, all their quarterbacks? So they keep getting it right. He just goes, luck. <laughs> just let it sit. Let it hang there. And then he explained, you know, obviously it's a scouting process. Uh, it's where he comes from in Green Bay. But also the fact that they were fortunate enough to let Jordan Love sit behind Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sit behind Brett. What did you call it? Fabra? Fabra. Yeah. Fabra. Okay. So – 
look, I, I think it depends on the situation. There's no blanket answer to this, right? Peyton Manning had one of the worst rookie seasons by a quarterback in NFL history. That interception record is going to stand forever, but he became Peyton Manning. He was yeah. Peyton Manning. So I, I think if you are going to start him off the bat, you need to protect him. That's that's a slippery slope, the fastest way down to breaking a quarterback. We all watched it last year. So, look, if you trade for Kirk Cousins, he's not going to sit. Uh, but I think you're at least pushing back your timeline for that franchise quarterback if you don't like them, which is really the big question here at the top. Do you like Jaden Daniels or Drake May? Have you watched any of them? I've watched a little bit of May. Yeah. I mean, you know, Daniels kind of everyone's been chatting around. May, I didn't know as much. So I did a little kind of looking around at him. I mean, I like them for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, what got me excited about Harrison Jr. is like having someone with a talent that's kind of sitting there. And you build the quarterback, you bring in quarterbacks and let them build up and know that there's going to be a weapon. Because watching uh, the attempted throws and watching our, you know, wide receiver core and you're just like, man, like that was rough. But no, big fan of Drake, man. I mean, if, if we went that route, I would not be an unhappy, you know, gentleman at all. Um, I think that would be exciting as well. And um, just the fear of putting out that rookie there. And, you know, sometimes they do well and sometimes they get hammered and don't do well. So trying to figure out, you know, how can we take advantage of one of those top tier picks while also having a backup strategy like a Kirk Cousins, you know, not necessarily like the Jets with, you know, picking up uh, Aaron Rodgers and putting it all on him, but getting someone who can, you know, really right the ship and get you into the wild card area conversation while also building up, you know, that quarterback behind you. I mean, if it was Drake May behind him, that would be even that much more exciting. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, uh, I appreciate you letting me come on here and uh, pitch my ideas to you. Hopefully uh, uh, not that it's going to have any impact because, you know, definitely no one's listening to me, but it'd be really interesting to kind of see what they're doing. And uh, you're getting the first peek uh, at the combine right now. Well, definitely, man. I, I appreciate you donating to Boston Children's. Again, you talk about rookie quarterbacks. I don't have kids. I don't, I don't know if you do, but it feels like you just kind of let them go and run or ride the bike the first year or two and you see what happens and it's a little scary, but that's the only way they learn. That's the only way you get better and grow. And, you know, uh, this segment was inspired by trying to give money back to kids uh, who right now don't have a chance to do that because hopefully they're just hitting pause on their journey of growth, but they're at Boston Children's and your money, um, like my money, all the money that's been donated over the years through this podcast or otherwise, really helps so if anyone else wants to be like brian come on the podcast have your cake eat it too order seconds let's get multiple quarterbacks in here right away and just chat about the pats tweet at me email me like brian did with a donation a receipt of that and we'll have you on next week thanks so much brian all right appreciate it andrew love listening to you and uh looking forward to uh seeing this and seeing uh, what other fun things you release in the near future appreciate you